Hey there, hi everyone. Uh, this is SAS Unbound Live, let's call it that. Uh, I'm Anna, uh, Anna Dana, your host as always. And yeah, here with me are two exceptional ladies uh, who are going to share their experience about building a successful customer experience strategy for B2B SaaS using customer voice to drive the product. So here with me is Abita, head of customer experience at Poly, which is an exceptional product. Uh, we really love what you're doing there. And of course, we have one of our beloved brands, Pipeline CRM, and with us is Ashley, director of customer success. So I'm super happy to see you here. I mean, two ladies, this I think it hasn't happened yet. So <laughs> great to see like all female team here. Uh, but yeah, let's start maybe with uh, with a bit of an introduction. Ashley, should we start with you? Sure, sounds good. I've been with Pipeline for going on seven years now. And before that, um, I started off in customer success, technical support, all those things. And um, yeah, I've largely been focused for the last uh, four years now of that seven year time um, on the customer success side as the director. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to just share some of our key learnings. And while we're not perfect, I think we're you know still in this discovery phase as always, we'll always be trying to iterate. And so I'm also just looking forward to even hearing and learning from you, Abita, as well. Thank you. And Abita, yeah, thank you for making the time. I know you guys are super busy. I'm really excited to see everything that you put out there. So. Can you, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what Polly is? Of course, of course, yeah. Um, I'm heading the customer experience function at Polly, which is a startup based out of Seattle. Um, for those of you who've used Slack or Microsoft Teams, um, I'm sure Polly is a familiar name for you. Uh, you can run polls, surveys, AMAs uh, with Polly right within Slack or Teams or Zoom, and very lately now Google Meet as well. Uh, so yeah, we are the fastest growing engagement app uh, across all these four collaboration platforms. Um, before Polly, I was with a food delivery company, Food Panda, and before that, I was with a Norwegian telecom telecom company, Telenor. Um, so I've really seen how customer experience experience ties in with the company vision uh, in industries which are more traditional versus tech-based uh, industries. I'm really excited to share my experience with uh, everyone in this AMA today and of course, learn from Ashley as well. All right, thank you so much. And I mean, I've got to say we got quite a few questions. Like when I reached out to people who signed up for this AMA, they would send me like lists and lists of questions. So I guess it's a very hot topic. So why don't we just uh, jump in, right? I actually, I wrote them down all here because there were just too many. And uh, yeah, uh, maybe we can start with the most obvious one and maybe the least obvious one too. How do you define customer experience? Abido, should we start with you? Yeah, uh, love to take that one. So I'm sure if you Google it, you'll find lots of definitions, but I would share something that is very kind of personal to me. And, and that's about, you know, customer experience, I feel is about designing consistent, reliable experiences, which enable your customers in solving their, their problem, you know, and while creating value for the company. I think that's a very important aspect of a thriving customer experience function as well. And during this process, if you can experience some aha or wow moments, or you can make your customer experience these moments, then 
you know, you've, you've definitely accomplished your goal. So broadly, I would say that, you know, customer experience has three dimensions. Of course, there's a support leg of things, then there's product and then there's design. Um, and based on your company's uh, structure, success or marketing might also kind of tie in these functions but you know you will i strongly believe that you'll only be able to kind of run cx as a well-oiled machine if these functions are tied in together example you know customer voice coming from support or self-service mediums like help center or customer feedback survey like nps how is that voice quantified how do you convert it into meaningful insights to drive the product and even you know, the growth roadmap at your company. What myths are your customer focus groups busting about your UI? You know, so you're basically sitting on a data mine and your success lies in tying in those data points together, surfacing them in front of the relevant stakeholders, and very, very importantly, closing the loop on why we did what we did and the impact it had on the customer um, as well as the business. Awesome. Thank you. Ashley, can you add anything to this? Yeah. I certainly agree with Abida and it's such a, you know, a broad, I mean, you know, topic really, we could sit here forever and talk about that customer experience, but I would just say, you know, the only other real addition is it's also, it's owned by, you know, everybody within an organization. I, you know, I've been with customer success organizations in the past where, you know, NPS, churn, all those things are really put, you know, on the customer success function or support. And in reality, I mean, we all own the customer experience and we at a comp- at our company on the executive team should ultimately be focused on, you know, making sure that we're all driving that. And if you have questions about how you influence customer experience, what KPIs you own and your team owns and drives, you know, we should really be dialing in on that so that you ultimately, we all feel close to the customer experience and we all feel like we're driving impact and change and, you know, and all of those things. So Awesome. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your input. Okay. So let's run with the next question. Can you tell a bit of how you may have def- defined activation or how moments within your customer journey? Evita, do you want to take this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to take this one. Yeah. So I think as a as a customer experience function or team or head or yeah team member, you know, you should constantly be asking yourself, how do you get the customers to unlock more use cases? You know, that's how you will be able to drive engagement, increase customer stickiness, build the habit, which of course translates into a better retention, lower churn, and you know, ta-da, more money coming in for the company. So all these work together hand in hand. Therefore, um, you need to look at conversion at every step and not in isolation. And so in the interest of keeping things simple, you know, I won't go deep into the top of funnel marketing activities on how you attract your customers. I'll focus more towards the funnel optimization bit over here, uh, which is that after the customer has been onboarded. So starting from the sign up moment, example, when the user installs your app, then the setup moment comes in when the user has performed the first action that your app's core use cases. Example, you know, in case of Polly, that would be creating a survey. Um, Then the aha moment comes in. Uh, Now, this is very important because this is the moment where your customer in the journey is has to feel that wow, that oh, wow. Uh, this is pretty cool. So that's the sentiment that you want the customer to feel at this particular moment. So for us, that's when they start to receive a ton of responses uh, to the survey that they've sent out. Um, And then, of course, this translates into a habit moment. That is, you know, when your customers want to repeat the whole cycle again because they feel that they're getting value out of it. Um, And once you've developed that habit, uh, you can then categorize these users into casual core or power users. And um, none of these user segments, I would say, are good or bad. It's about 
how big of a problem your your solution is solving for each of these customer segments. So, you know, for example, there is one customer who uses Polo just once a quarter, but they use it for to gather questions natively in Slack for their all hands, which is a very important use case. As you know, we all know all hands is a very uh, strategic event for the companies. It, it involves the leadership, it all, all employees versus another user who is using it every week, but for casual, you know, fun stuff like, what should we have for lunch? Uh, what should what is the movie that we should uh, watch as part of the movie night? Or they're using it to run their book clubs versus a third user who is, let's say, an HR user who's using it once a month for employee uh, mental health check-in. So the important thing here for us is to have a shared understanding among the team that, you know, who are our core casual and power users? How do we define these users? Similarly, defining the earlier metrics I talked about is very important as well. Example, you know, if I say that aha moment is when the customer uh, sent a survey and they were like, oh, wow, it's so simple to create a survey. I love this. This this was, you know, it was that easy. Now, let's say that they don't get responses on those surveys. I'm sure the aha is definitely gone because they were like, what's the point of me making these surveys when I'm not going to get responses because that's when they, they want, that's what they wanted to use their product for. So um, if I had kept the aha moment metric as sending a survey, I will constantly be worried about retention. So the point here being that defining these metrics at every step is a crucial aspect of this journey. And everyone on the in the company needs to be on the same page when it comes to what is the definition of each of these metrics. So you can collectively work towards hitting the bullseye, I would say. And while you're you're doing it, it's also very important not to overcomplicate things, you know. So if you have a defined use case tagged to a persona and a retention metric, which of course is in sync with your habit moment, the aha moment, uh, the aha metric is is kind of going to be pretty simple and straightforward and clear for that matter. So have a view about how a seamless versus a glitchy journey looks like for for each of these moments, I would say, and. While you're doing this, one thing that really helped me was identifying, while you're identifying your key personas that you're going to target, it's also important to identify the anti-personas. So example, in case of poly, our anti-persona are teams who are working in office. We know that our solution is only valuable for teams which are either hybrid or fully remote as our main personas and then sub-personas like internal comms, HR, you know, those are those teams would find value uh, when they're working in a remote setup. So, yeah, I think like we say for our task list, it's important to have a not to do list as well. Similarly, I would say it's important to kind of be mindful of what are the personas that you would not be targeting. Oh, wow, that's brilliant. I, I really love the concept of like what what we shouldn't do as well as what we should do. I think that's really, really important. Okay, uh, maybe maybe let's move on to the next one. Once you've defined the innovation moments and accomplished alignment across the customer journey, what are the first steps in optimizing customer interaction across channels? Ashley, maybe you this time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I would say that once you've defined those activation moments, I think it's also equally important to understand what tools are being utilized across, you know, teams. I think it's not necessarily a bad thing to have, you know, more than one tool. I can probably name maybe five that we use across all uh, of our teams where maybe our goal is just that, like the customer interaction piece. Um, but it's it's owned by product marketing, you know, customer success, even sales you know, their outbound strategy, how does that inter, you know, 
affect our communication. And so I think it's just really important to make sure that you have understanding of what tools are in place. And then also understand the timing. We recently, we discovered that, you know, our product marketing team, they were sending trial outreach that fell on the same exact day as, you know, our sales team. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but understanding, I mean, literally down to the hour, like, are, is there overlap? Is there even overlap in the type of communication? Or is it fine that, you know, we have different messaging and might fall in the same week? But again, just bridging that gap of understanding what that looks like so that, you know, we can make improvements and also just try to understand, you know, is that even, are we, are we, you know, accomplishing what it is that we're, we're needing to through that communication is the other piece. Okay. Avita, would you, would you like to add something to this? Or should we move? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's more about, you know, the tools that, that you're using. Every team is, uh, is obviously going to use a different set of set of tools, but it's important to have that. I would say that shared collective understanding where everybody is on the same page when it comes to what is important? What are the strategic priorities that we need to kind of focus on for this quarter, for the next quarter? So, yeah, I think internal alignment and tools obviously support that alignment and enable that collaboration within the team. Okay, thank you so much. All right. Uh, so another question is, oh, bear with me. How can a company effectively measure the ROI and impact of its feature adoption campaigns on overall product usage and customer value? Oof, that's a big one. Let's let's go with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that the part that I love the most about the question is the feature adoption campaigns. I think as CX, we're constantly like, you know, it's it's okay. What are the new campaigns coming in? What is the impact that they're going to have? And uh, all of those things. I think that's something that is very top of mind for us. And you know, I can't even begin to tell you the number of times that these campaigns have backfired when they were carried out in in isolation by the marketing or or the growth team. I would say so. And one situation that kind of used to I, I remember it used to come up very frequently in my days while I was heading the customer experience at Food Panda, which is in the delivery space. You know, marketing used to partner with the bank and went ballistic on promoting the discount if you use that bank's card at the time of checkout you know obviously their campaign kpis was the incremental number of orders that came in uh, because of this particular campaign but you know while you're working in on this campaign did you think about the implications on the customer journey it's not just about a card checkout customers have to add the promo code there's a discount cap also there's a cap on the number of transactions that you can do per day what is the error message that shows up does it communicate this the cta or that the customer can perform on their own have you given your customer support the tools to troubleshoot if any payment issue comes up you know it's an online payment campaign. How automated is your refund process? Is your support enabled to handle the extra volume? And support also has a cost for the company. So, you know, when you calculate the money that came in due to the campaign, you also need to kind of subtract the leakage amount that went out because of the additional resources that you had to kind of add on support and so on and so forth. Every single activity that you do, um, you know, top of funnel, middle, bottom funnel will impact the customer journey. So I would say that looking at the campaign success in isolation will be a vanity matrix. I would say that's not an actual reflection of the ROI. So, um, you know, and also think about the brand trust that you might potentially erode because you looked at your campaign in, in isolation and a customer had a refund issue that, uh, you know, probably got delayed because of the support stuff not being aligned accordingly. So, you know, tying in together with the earlier topic about matrix, you know, effective ROI measurement requires you to be 
very specific about which metric the campaign directly impacts and it indirectly impacts as well. Another insight that I picked up while I was doing a course with Reforge, and I love this concept of sleeping bears, uh, which was shared by Elena Varna, who is someone I find very inspiring in the growth space. She talked about this concept of sleeping bears in your subscriber base. while she was, you know, working with a feature-based product, which had a subscription monetization model, very similar to what we have at Poly, um, you know, and we have users on their annual brand, which is very common in the SaaS space. We all have these users who are not using the product. So let's say, you know, you want to run a campaign, which is about resurrecting these, these users. So be mindful that every time you send them an email, churn might come in because the email is a reminder to them that, hey, you know, you have an active subscription, which you will be renewed for shortly. So even if they had forgotten about it, your email sent them a reminder that go in and click on unsubscribe. Oh, and this ended up in churn. So a tactic which was aimed towards engagement can end up in churn in this case. So uh, the bigger problem, I would say, therefore, is to solve for, you know, how do you stop these sleeping bears creation in the first place? As once they become those, they are a huge churn risk. So how do you keep your users engaged throughout the journey, which doesn't result in this, in such users being created? So similarly, you know, another example that I can think of in the context of the B2B SaaS space is the changing pricing. You know, there's always this debate about, you know, whether we should offer monthly plans or not, especially being in the survey space. You hear customers complaining that, hey, you know, we just need to to run a survey about a one-off need. Uh, We don't need to have an annual plan. So, you know, they need, you don't have a monthly plan. So our needs are unmet. So, you know, if I if we just base our decision to launch a monthly plan based on this customer voice, we might end up with a lot of churn because we know that at the end of the month, these customers are going to exit the problem. So, you know, it's not just about solving the for the customer pain point. Uh, you have to see that which is a problem that not only solves the customer pain point, but it also drives uh, business value at the end. So, you know, if you keep saying customer only, remember that, Uh, the dev time could have been spent on shipping a new feature, which would have brought in incremental revenue so or increased stickiness. So you should be very clear on what customer problems you want the business to solve. What customer problems do you want to advocate for? You want to kind of push your weight behind. And why do you want to solve these problems for you to kind of be perceived as an authority in this space? All right, that's a, that's a brilliant answer. Thank you. Oh, uh, well, I'm sorry if if you can hear music. There is a concert right outside my window, so I apologize. But <laughs> it just adds a little bit of ambience to to the whole call. But all right, the next question is: Have you ever been in a role? Oh, where you didn't have any defined KPIs? How did you go about measuring the ROI of the KPIs? Oof, Ashley, do you want to take this? Yeah, sure, sure. So I I can recall being fairly new at a larger company, larger than Pipeline, as just being in customer success. And we had hundreds of customer success, customer support team members. And I can recall being in a room with all of us and our VP asking everybody, you know, do we all know what churn means? And the room was just completely silent. And, you know, I was embarrassed for all of us because here we were, you know, fighting churn, being in, you know, customer experience, and we didn't even understand what that metric or that KPI even meant. 
So while that's definitely on us, I think it was also on, you know, the VP, our executive team for not necessarily sharing defined KPIs, but also their meaning equally as important. So I think, yes, I've certainly been in that position and it was not fun. In fact, I think the result was that we were just a very reactive, you know, customer experience team. And we didn't really understand how we were driving those KPIs, what value we were bringing to the business. So I would say that is unfortunately the side effect of not understanding and having defined KPIs. But um, I can say that, you know, since being at Pipeline, we've definitely had different iterations on, you know, what our KPIs are. We track actually even weekly and biweekly, you know, our KPIs and how they're changing. And while, you know, on a weekly or biweekly cadence, we might not see a lot of, you know, change. We're at least taking the time to understand, like, are these even the right KPIs that we want to be focusing on? Do we understand, you know, if there are any changes, what could have, you know, led to this uptick in churn or, you know, the marketing site traffic? So we're looking at everything. So I think, you know, it's it's very, very important to have the right KPIs defined, but it's equally as important to have time to review that, you know, on whether it is weekly or maybe it's quarterly. Annually, I would not personally recommend because then, of course, you have so many you know things that can happen over the course of the year. And we've also just been really great at, on a quarterly basis, asking ourselves, like, again, are these the right KPIs? Do we need to change some of this? And, you know, through EOS, which is, you know, certainly a business operations model, we can also ask ourselves, you know, we have a scorecard and the thought is, is if our founders were on a stranded island, are these going to be the metrics that ultimately tell them that our the business is you know staying afloat? So if things aren't necessarily in that bucket, then we should discard them. You know, maybe they're just not the right metrics. They are glory metrics that we're focusing on, and you know they don't really bring value to the business, and they don't ultimately come back to our teams and show them even how they're making a greater impact on growth and so forth. Avida, uh, you add anything to this? What about yeah, your experience? Yeah, um... Actually, I love the example that you gave of being on a stranded island and will those numbers actually show them the, the how the business is doing versus are those numbers just kind of good looking enough for us and they make us feel look good. Yeah, I think that that's a great point when you're kind of coming up with, with metrics on what actually drives customer and business value versus what is just kind of some legacy matrix that you've been holding on to. So yeah, uh, I think about myself, I would say the short answer is yes, I've been in a situation where uh, I didn't have defined KPIs. And that's something that I love working with in uh, one of the things why I love working in a startup, you know, you get to define your own KPIs. Um, the process can be cumbersome, because you know, when you're joining a new company, it will be good to kind of have uh, some rules or guidelines. But then it's great, because then you're kind of learning all aspects of the customer journey. And of course, you know, this goes hand in hand with your customer experience strategy as well. Whenever you take up a new role uh, where you get to define the strategy, the KPIs are just a reflection or a measure of how effectively you're delivering on that strategy. So and many times while you're looking for, for kind of setting up a customer KPI, you know, the question always comes up, why do we need to have a separate customer KPI? You know, as a company, we're such a customer centric company. Uh, all of us are looking at the customer matrix all the time. So why to have a new matrix to add to the company scorecard? So, you know, I've always looked at it this way that shared responsibility is no one's responsibility. So yes, while growth and product have a KPI, it's important that you have a core customer KPI as well. 
typically it is as customer KPI isn't a one-off thing and NPS helps you measure uh, customer loyalty over a period of time. And it's not about a fixed score that you need to hit. It's more about the journey and the incremental improvements that you, you're making to your product and to your brand at large. So, and yes, uh, I think while we're on the topic of KPI, I would say that CS, uh, CX requires a long-term focus and it can be def- it can definitely be a silent killer if not prioritized. It's really easy to cover it up also. You know, we can trick ourselves into thinking that we have good, good retention when we actually might have poor retention. We often look at, uh, you know, just the breadth, but we never talk accurately about retention while looking at it from a depth of engagement perspective as, as well. So example, you know, in the food delivery space, if you just look at the number of orders uh, in a day or in a week, it's not going to give you a view of retention or customer engagement for that matter. I would say that ROI is, while it's never a one-off thing for a CX, CX function, as you know, we don't work like a campaign, there's no start date or an end date. It's an ongoing thing as it, you know, captures qualitative as well as quantitative data uh, with some leading and supporting indicators, which give you a sense of how your customers are feeling about your product over a period of time. Okay, thank you for your answers. We have a few more. And uh, the next one is, can you share what an ideal customer journey looks like to you? And how do you align the stakeholders on that? That's super interesting. Ashley, do you wanna come first? Yeah, yeah, and I'll be honest here. Um, I, I don't think that we have like the most perfect optimized customer journey here at Pipeline. I will absolutely not lie. In fact, it's definitely been a work in progress. and. You know, we've had some failed experiences with it being that, you know, we set out to create and map a customer journey, understand, you know, the buyer personas, and then we just didn't come back to it. And it just kind of sat there and we weren't really close to it. We didn't come back and share, you know, with even the rest of our teams, like, here's how you own each part of, you know, this piece of the customer journey and even ask for feedback, like, how can we make this better? So it just sat and then unfortunately, you know, some time passed. And so over the last year, really, we were like, we need to figure this out. We need to, again, get closer to that. This needs to be at the heart of, you know, adoption, all those things, right? All these things that we've really already talked about. So we've definitely taken a lot of time. And I think what we've understood is really at the heart of it is we also need to just as much understand like the different pieces of the journey. We also need to tie in specific owners just so that you know, if I'm over in sales, I understand that I I own this part of it. Like I can't necessarily put on support or customer experience, the customer experience teams, they don't necessarily always drive like these interactions, this, this value prop that I'm trying to really push or even, you know, the satisfaction, like I own this, I need to, you know, um, measure that I need to come back to it, you know, with my manager. And if I need to make improvements, I, I want to be a part of that. And I want to share, you know, my feedback and all of that. So we've also just committed internally to review this quarterly. So it doesn't just sit and it's not just something that goes away. And then we just talk about it maybe once every couple of years or so. So I would say that's what we're doing to you know, strive towards an ideal and optimized customer journey, and then also align stakeholders along that, you know, journey. In fact, today we have a meeting to talk about it for, you know, Q4, and we just hope to continue down that path. But I don't know, Abita, if you have an ideal customer journey that, you know, you're really proud of, or if you're also kind of in that state where it's always a work in progress, it's not ever probably going to be finite or, or perfect, really. 
Yeah, yeah, it's always a work in progress. And I can actually kind of, I, you know, it was like a flashback where there's so many times you start creating the journey and it has, it then so many elements get into it and you're like, okay, let's just park it for now. We'll come back to it later. And then that later is quite later. And with the changing macroeconomic situation, things are, are changing so quickly that the journey you mapped out a couple of months ago, uh, and especially in, in the startup space, you're learning things so much while you're doing and experimenting. It's not like a fixed static journey. It's it's an evolving journey as you're learning more, you're doing more experiments. So I uh, completely uh, agree with Ashley on this part of uh, customer journey being a very uh, fluid and ever evolving thing, I would say. But yeah, I think in terms of definition, I would say that an ideal customer journey would be a journey which is seamless, it's intuitive, it has elements of inclusive design, and, you know, very importantly, it's in sync with your company vision. It's an experience that makes the customer feel empowered and enabled. And of course, um, you know, like I said, alignment with with the stakeholders on the journey. It's not a one-off exercise. For us also, you know, the macroeconomic conditions are playing a big role in in shaping the journey, then the customer preferences, which are changing, uh, they also have a big role to play. Understanding what is important for the business at that particular time, point in time and aligning those business priorities with the problems that you aim to solve. Um, and, you know, while you're kind of running with all of this information, there's a need to have that constant bind from the business so you can kind of have the resources that you require to build that journey and that's also something very important for the team's success all right thank you well we i guess we started talking about like the bigger scope scope of things and maybe we we can continue with you abita about that because we have a question uh how can a b2b SaaS company anticipate and adapt to potential journey gaps caused by external factors such as regulatory changes and market shifts yeah i think external factors is something that the B2B uh, space is feeling kind of very strongly and I'm sure Ashley can relate to it, to it as well in the customer success space. You don't know who the decision makers are anymore because of so many mergers and acquisitions taking place. And because, like I said, they're changing the decision makers, they're changing who the budget owners are. And, you know, this is a year, the year, the times of efficiency have been going on. So companies want to consolidate their SaaS spend. This is something that we kind of keep hearing from all the customer interactions that we're having, that there's a big focus on cost efficiency, tool optimization, and whichever tools that we kind of want to keep, then we need to make the most out of them. So that's a consistent theme that we keep hearing from our customers. What are the, the implications for us? Uh, it has a lot of implications on us, on our product roadmap as well. Because right now we're all kind of in a particular space, we are trying to kind of make the customers switch their spend from other tools over to our tools. We are the, the preferred tool, which is selected to perform multiple uh, jobs, I would say. So um, just to give you an example, you know, our product was, we are very proud of the fact that our product is native in Slack, which is great because people who are on Slack, they love Slack. They don't want to leave Slack. They want everything to happen in Slack. But then there's another segment as well that, you know, there's a need to gather feedback or there's a need to run surveys outside Slack also. 
So earlier, our customers had to buy a different survey tool because our product was only within Slack. So then, you know, we layered up another feature and we said that, you know, we, we opened up gathering responses through the web and now we cater to that market as well. So not only has it unlocked a new use case for us, uh, it also made the decision easier for our customers at the time of renewal to stick to Poly because now we're for this particular thing, they don't need to look out for a different tool. And of course, you know, it increased the user engagement also because now they're not just using Poly within Slack, they can use it for their outside Slack needs as well. Similarly, you know, identifying that in times of these changes, it's important that your product is is perceived as a must-have and, and not a good to have. So how do you surface your product in front of the important strategic decision makers who control the budgets, I would say? So example, you know, what we also did recently was that we identified that, of course, you know, in the remote space company, All Hands is an important use case. How do you add features to your product, which makes your customers use your product for this particular event? So, you know, we've launched a new Q&A product, which specifically caters to this use case so that, you know, our, our, our product now gets surfaced every time the All Hands is taking place versus you know imagine uh, a few months ago when we did not have this feature our product could have been perceived as oh okay yeah it's good to run polls and surveys okay meaning it's a good enough tool you know it's what is the strategic value that this tool is driving so how do you enable the decision makers that while they're advocating for your case how do you enable them with the right information so they can advocate for your product so i think this is something that wasn't required earlier, but now in times of these macroeconomic changes, how do we arm the decision makers in making sure that the, your product is top of mind for them? That's a conversation that has become very relevant because of the, I would say, the, the macroeconomic conditions, specifically in the SaaS space. And I'm sure, Ashley, you'll be able to relate to this very closely also because, you know, there's a need to create even more champions for your product in an account. So, yeah. Uh, something very close to what you do or what, what yes. your team does every day. And again, yeah. just one last, last point, I would say that, you know, this approach completely shifts your product direction altogether, you know, on what features to build, which journey pain points to focus on, because, you know, we've, like we talked about earlier as well, the journey is quite big. So, and for every point of the journey, you need to kind of identify owners who can pick on that pain point and then focus on it. So you can't solve for everything. So it's important that you know that who are you solving for, what are you solving for, and why are you solving for, and the entire company needs to be on one page. So you're really geared towards solving for problems which actually create value for the customer as well as the business. Thank you. Ashley, how, how are you doing with the pipeline? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's something, so I think ultimately what we come back to and what I think ultimately like drives product and, you know, all these other things along with these trends is it ultimately, it comes back to the metrics, right? So I mentioned tracking, you know, weekly or biweekly, quarterly, going back to those metrics. Um, I think at that time, it's important to surface, you know, some of those trends, the macro trends and all of, or micro trends really that could um, be stirring the pot a little bit for your customer base. And that's so that's certainly a starting point for us. If we all of a sudden see that there's, you know, pretty high contraction with one or several of our, you know, our top customers, it gets us asking, you know, do we have the right decision makers? Are we, I mean, are we engaging with these customers enough? You know, do we have monthly check-ins with those folks to really, um, you know, sense check some of our, you know, our assumptions that we might be getting from the news or, you know, from some of our colleagues at other, you know, SaaS businesses. Um, and then I think what's important is once we do kind of 
uncover, you know, we unsurface those opportunities. Like you mentioned, Abita, getting the right stakeholders involved internally is so, so important. And it's also so timely. I mean, I had a conversation with our top customer actually this week around, you know, they have a new chief technical officer and they're doing just that. They're evaluating their whole entire tech stack and they have a number of options in the CRM space specifically. And we're, you know, a little bit on the chopping block. And so, you know, I immediately brought that back to the rest of our executive team over here and you know, we see this as an opportunity, like what do we need to do to drive value for these guys so that not only are we a part of their, you know, CRM equation in the future, but, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of upside, there's expansion that really is also going to come from this. So the starting point was, yes, we've seen a lot of contraction with this account, maybe in particular, we've also actually surprisingly seen a lot of growth from this, this one uh, customer of ours. So maybe even that isn't an uh, indicator that there's this risk, but having our champion um, and making sure that we're just aligning with what their unique needs are is just, it's, it's so crucial for us. And I think that really only comes from also having, you know, regular touch points with, with those key accounts as well. So. Yeah, very important. I would say that the days when the renewals used to be automatic, those days are gone. Uh, again, the check-ins. And I would also say the check-ins, it's also about understanding your customers. So some Quest customers might prefer an email check-in versus others might prefer getting on a Zoom call, while others just want to stay updated over Slack shared channels. So it's really about, um, you know, and again, understanding your customers and identifying that what medium of communication works best in their case. So it's not just about the internal product alignment with what the customer needs, but it's also about, you know, being present with the customer uh, in a medium that creates value for them. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. I guess we can squeeze in a, a couple more questions that are a bit more personal, a bit more about uh, your personal experiences. So can you share a customer experience objective that makes you the most proud? Abita, can you take this one first? Yeah, uh, I think um, so. I stepped into customer experience after working for seven years in HR. So, and that's a question that keeps coming out: that why did you move to customer experience? You know, that's such a shift in in the career direction. So, um, and I started to ask myself that also, and I realized that one thing that uh, HR and customer experience have in common is, uh, you know, we want to kind of make things easy for whoever our customer is. So. I think my aha moment uh, as a CX professional is when I see that I'm making things easier uh, for our customers, you know, in a world full of complexity, uh, what is the role that my team is playing in simplifying things? And yeah, ideally be in a position where, you know, I get to build a brand where we are top of mind when a customer thinks about products or services that have made their lives easy or simple. So yeah that would be my personal aha moment. That's right. super cool. Ashley, what about you? Well, I, I'm not going to take any credit for this because it was large. I mean, it was a huge undertaking from our product engineering and also met the success team at Pipeline. But I think, I think implementing a tool, I won't name the tool, um, but implementing a tool for collecting our customer feedback and also just creating process to support that tool, of course, so that we could ultimately provide, you know, the feedback from our customers 
to product engineering, you know, all of those things, our stakeholders as well, and just get closer, closer in touch with, you know, the feedback that we were receiving. We were collecting through Google Sheets for so long <clears throat> feedback that ultimately was just meaningless because we didn't have, you know, the full user story. We didn't have, I mean, we did our best, but it was just, you know, years and years and years of data. And we realized, you know, we needed a tool, all those things. And I will tell you, just getting buy-in internally was so difficult. It took it took a couple years to even land on the fact that we even had a problem. And that was a struggle. But ultimately we were able to, you know, create the business case. And, you know, while it's not perfect, I think we're always having to iterate on the process element of it. But I I, I would say I'm definitely proud of the team for you know, building the business case. And I think ultimately we've been able to, you know, develop launch features that our customers, they want and need. That's not to say that we are just so customer focused that we don't develop things that as a business we decide, you know, is is great for our product, our footprint and all those things. But we have a small footprint, I think, on our engineering team that is always dedicated to these features, whether they're big or small. And again, that's just coming from, you know, having this motion that we've built out and we've just continued to focus on um, that pipeline. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I think it's it's really important to just, you know, make sure that everyone is involved. I think in, in your, in what you're uh, doing, it, it's so important that, you know, everyone is aligned and everyone's working towards the same goal. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for from bringing it up uh, and, and talking about the team as well. And I guess uh, and just to, we have, yeah, sure. Sorry, yeah, just to add to that, I think uh, you're as empowered as your CRM. So yeah, the, the Google Sheets, the pain that Ashley was talking about, we felt that pain also. Uh, and it's a nightmare and it just kind of builds on the frustration. So, and we've also had a similar transition journey where we kind of opted for a CRM, which has all the customer information. And now we're able to kind of add workflows to it, make more, you know, bring out more automations and which is eventually helping us kind of spend our time in, in creating value for the customer and talking to the customers instead of having to do the manual work where you're kind of looking into different sheets and different tools. So yeah, I think your customer success function is as great as your CRM. So investing in a good CRM is, is very important. Yes. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing it up. Okay, and maybe the last question, again, very much about you. What materials, books, articles, courses, sources were the most valuable for you during your career? And which topics you enjoyed the most? Avida, do you want to take this one yeah. first? Yeah, yeah, I can take this one. So I mean, if you ask me, I generally don't go for customer experience related material because I feel that on-job learning, talking to customers, you know, that bit the experience bit of things kind of covers up for it so what the courses that i do and reforge is my go-to place for these courses are are around growth strategy engagement retention because i feel that if i have a better sense of the business side of things that's going to make me a more effective cx lead that's going to help me in making my team more aligned with the business goals so yes that would be my kind of go-to place the other thing that I also do is that because we're a fully remote team, so I think on the softer side of things, it's important to understand how do you collaborate with different cultures? How do you work with different time zones? How do you work in an async fashion? So yeah, reading about how does decision making work in different cultures? How does communication work in different cultures? I think that is something if you're in the remote space or in the hybrid space, that's that's equally important enough because 
you're all the time you're either negotiating or influencing and being mindful of those things is i felt it has contributed a lot to my team's success because we're more aware of who we're talking to and what is the cultural context yeah. yeah, thank you. Oh, also on Reforge, we should share our experiences. <laughs> uh, Ashley, what about you? What has been your inspiration? Yeah, so there's just there's plenty. I mean, there's so much out there. In fact, it can you know certainly be overwhelming at times. I honestly, I think what's been really invaluable to us as of lately is being a part of you know SaaS Group. I mean, we had members of customer success in the last week all sync up, and you know just learn from each other. I think that's just been really amazing because anybody can go you know attend a course of some sort on how do you provide you know customer success. But you don't always get to ask, you know, the questions of like, but how did you fail? And then, you know, make it right or all those things. Like, it's just so high level. So, you know, I, I think through SaaS Group, just being able to collaborate with other brands has just been so invaluable for us, really. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Can I just add my five cents here? <laughs> that, oh, yeah, fuck. absolutely. I, I feel like that's such a great benefit that the brands are getting from just just being a part of the group sometimes it feels like oh we're always talking about like how how we keep the brands independent but we just keep the product independent but the teams you know everyone's happy to collaborate like how AMAs uh, were born uh, because we had our internal sessions right we, we would just bring awesome people to share you know with all our teams like what they're doing for for their brands and maybe you know we could learn from them and then because there was like an overwhelming amount of questions like, oh, can we get an in on that? And we were like, oh, no, but <laughs> let's do something special for you. So, yeah, absolutely. I think knowledge sharing is, is such a great little big, big benefit that everyone's getting there. But yeah, so thank you. Thank you for bringing it up. And thank you for the conversation. I guess like we have a few more questions, but I don't think we have the time. So happy to do it again sometime thank you so much ladies for joining it ashley thank you so much for making the time of beta yeah as well i mean i know how, how busy you are and it wasn't the easiest to to bring everyone together especially like we're all in different time zones so thank you for being here for sharing your experiences the insights i'm sure everyone's learned a lot this is going to be on youtube of course and in a form of podcast so tune in on spotify and apple Podcasts, whatever you're listening to to and yeah thank you for being here thank you thank you for having us it's been an absolute pleasure thank you same here all right thank you everyone and take care <laughs>